Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When a graduate student in North Carolina is found lying dead at the bottom of the stairs in her apartment complex, an investigation uncovers a series of secrets, lies, and betrayals, all of which point back to the victim's untimely death. The murder of 25-year-old Danita Smith exposes a secret love affair, mysterious tapes, and a calculated killer. I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library podcast. This is the story of the vengeful murder of Danita Smith, part one. It's January 2007, and Danita Smith is a graduate student attending North Carolina Central University in Durham. She is 25 years old and works as a photojournalist on the student newspaper at her university. From childhood, Danita loved photography, often viewing her life through the lens of the camera. The camera was like her friend, and taking photos was a way of expressing herself, and she definitely had a keen eye for photography. At this time, she is also a member of the AKA sorority with her best friend, Edith. Danita is an ambitious woman and has a love for school and education, so she has plans to get her doctorate and pursue a career in the field of journalism. During her college career, Danita even won a New York Times fellowship with her best friend, Edith. Danita is the kind of person who always plans for the future and has a specific vision for her life and she approaches every goal by taking it one step at a time. And one of those goals she is serious about is marriage. Danita, being recently engaged to a man named Jermir Stroud, has plans to one day get married and start a family with him. The day is January 4, 2007. It's a busy day for Danita at NCCU, because it is the end of holiday break and classes are back in session on campus. Danita resides in the Campus Crossings apartment near her university. As she walks out of her apartment and heads down the stairs to make her way to campus, thinking it will be a normal day, she is met with a violence that can only be categorized as cold and calculated. Around 8 a.m., a 911 call comes in from another student who lives at the same Campus Crossings complex as Danita Smith. 
The 911 caller tells the operator that he thinks a woman has fallen down the stairs at the apartment complex. He tells the operator that the woman is lying at the bottom of the stairs with her head busted open and bleeding profusely. According to the caller, the girl isn't moving at all when he tries to help her. The caller offers to find her ID so the operator can get more information about who this woman is. When the 911 caller is able to pull out the ID from her person, it reads, Danita Monique Smith. While the caller is on the line with the 911 operator, he keeps trying to wake Danita up. He calls out her name over and over again, but Danita lies there motionless, unresponsive. Police and paramedics rush to the campus crossing complex, and North Carolina Central University is quickly notified, and so is Danita's family. Danita's mother, Sharon, receives a call telling her that her daughter has fallen down the stairs and that she's unconscious, but they are doing everything they can to help Danita. In complete shock, Sharon immediately makes her way to Durham, but it's not just a quick drive up the street. Sharon must make a three-hour commute from Charlotte. On the way there, Sharon is in disbelief, and she struggles to wrap her mind around the news that her daughter was no longer conscious and wouldn't wake up. She begins to feel like she will never make it to Durham, so she reaches out to Danita's fiancé, Jameer Stroud, who lives closer to Durham. While Sharon is racing through traffic, she makes a call to Jameer, who is also a police officer. He lives and works in Greensboro, which is way closer to Durham. So Sharon tells Jameer everything that happened and tells him to go to Durham to check on Danita. Jameer agrees to go to Durham immediately to make sure Danita is okay and that she has someone by her side when she eventually wakes up. And this is what Danita and her loved ones believe. They believe that Danita is going to wake up and everything will be fine. Meanwhile, on campus, word is spreading quickly about what happened at the Campus Crossings apartment complex. No one knows who the person at Campus Crossings is, just that police and paramedics showed up. And Danita's best friend, Edith, is getting wind of it all. So Edith makes a call to Danita to check on her and make sure everything is okay. But Danita isn't picking up Edith's calls, which is very unusual and concerning for Edith. When Danita fails to call Edith back, Edith decides to call Jameer to see if he knows anything about where Danita is. Jameer is on his way to Durham. When Edith and Jameer speak on the phone, she asks Jameer if he has made contact with Danita yet and if the two have spoken that morning. During this conversation, Edith feels like she isn't getting any straight answers from Jameer. For instance, when Edith asks if he spoke with Danita, Jameer won't give a flat-out yes or no. Instead, he tells Edith to sit tight and stay calm, and he reassures her that he will get to her as soon as he can. While still making her way to Danita, Sharon is under the impression that what happened to Danita was just an accident that Danita possibly lost her footing going down the stairs and then hit her head. So Sharon's priority right now is just to go be with her daughter at the hospital until she wakes up. But what Sharon doesn't know is that Danita is not at the hospital, and Danita is not ever going to wake up. Durham police are actually taping off the scene at the apartment complex as the police presence begins to grow and grow. Detectives aren't sure what they are dealing with. All they know is that Danita Smith is dead and lying at the bottom of the stairs in her apartment complex. But they don't yet know if this is because she tripped and fell 
or if someone pushed her. All they are certain of is that everything at the scene is beginning to point in the direction of something more serious than a young woman accidentally falling down the stairs. While detectives are taping off the scene, Edith is rushing towards the complex for herself. She can't get in contact with her best friend and she wants to know for herself that Danita is safe. Upon arriving at the apartment complex, Edith is greeted with several of the university's professors, along with law enforcement working the scene. Obviously, Edith is wondering what is happening and she's told that Danita is no longer alive, that her best friend is dead. Understandably, Edith is in complete shock and asks to see her friend. She is certain that all of this is just one horrible mistake. Eventually, Jermir, Danita's fiancé, arrives on scene and is given the life-changing news that the woman he plans to marry is dead. According to Edith, Jermir reacts to this news rather calmly and with a blank expression. He preoccupies himself with soothing Edith, saying everything would be okay. Meanwhile, Edith's heart is completely shattered because she just found out her best friend is dead. And honestly, she feels bad for Jameer because Danita was going to be his future wife, and now she's gone. And this whole time, Edith and Jameer think that Danita died tragically in an accident. They don't know that police have a suspicion that Danita might have been murdered. When initially assessing the scene and Danita's body, police aren't able to determine what her injuries are exactly. They see a lot of blood coming from Danita's head, and they note that her purse, water bottle, lipstick, and keys are scattered down the staircase. With Danita's belongings strewn all over the staircase, the first thing police are asking themselves is, was there a struggle? When police check Danita's purse, her wallet and money are still there, which leads detectives to believe that the motive isn't robbery. But upon closer examination of Danita's body, they realize that she has been murdered, shot at point-blank range. It's determined that Danita was shot in the center of the back of her head, that her murder was essentially an execution, and police believe that Danita never saw it coming. Danita's mother, Sharon, finally arrives from Charlotte still unaware that her daughter is dead. When Sharon pulls up to the apartment complex, she is greeted with the authorities who explain to Sharon that her eldest daughter is dead and that she's been shot. At this point, Sharon's life has changed forever. So many questions run through her mind, the main one being, who would want to kill Danita, and why? To Sharon, none of this made sense. She struggles to wrap her mind around the fact that her daughter was just alive and planning for her future, and then suddenly, gone forever. Danita Smith was executed in broad daylight. According to the Durham Police Department, they believe Danita's killer was lying in wait at the apartment complex on the second floor landing as Danita walked down the stairs from her third floor unit. There are four apartments near the second floor landing, and police theorized that the way the killer went unnoticed by Danita was that they were pretending to either enter an apartment by fumbling with their keys or something similar to that behavior. They believed that at some point, Danita walked past her killer before turning to walk down the steps. It was clear that whoever killed Danita planned it to a T. 
those close to Danita just couldn't understand who would want to kill her. Danita was a light with a beautiful spirit, and Edith couldn't fathom who would want to hurt a loving, kind, and supportive woman like Danita. According to Edith, Danita was respected and well-loved, and it would be hard to find someone who didn't like her. But that wasn't entirely true. You see, detectives simply had to look closer at the relationship between Danita and her fiancé, Jameer, to get an idea of who would want to harm Danita. Jameer and Danita met in college and quickly became the id couple on campus. They spent some time dating before Danita introduced him to her family and friends. Danita often spoke highly of her boyfriend. She would tell her friends about how Jameer was a stand-up guy, a gentleman. She praised Jameer for being intelligent, active, kind, well-rounded, respectful, involved, protective, and loving. By the way Danita spoke about Jameer, he seemed like the perfect guy. And when Edith, Danita's best friend, finally met Jameer, she could see what Danita saw in him. The couple seemed like the perfect match. Sharon, who is usually more cautious about the men Danita dated, soon came to love and trust Jameer too. In fact, Sharon tried to find every reason not to trust and like Jameer. But seeing how much Danita loved him and how they were happy together, she ultimately gave in and made Jameer promise to protect her daughter. When Jameer found out about Danita's perceived accident on the stairs, Sharon believed that Jameer didn't know anything about what happened. But when they all later found out that Danita was murdered, according to Sharon, Jameer didn't say much. All he did was cry. After ruling Danita's death a homicide, the Durham PD begin their investigation and start interviewing people in Danita's life. And first up is Danita's fiancé, Jameer Stroud. In the first interview with Jameer, he divulges that he has been with the Greensboro Police Department for four years, and he tells detectives that he doesn't have any clue about what happened to Danita. He tells officers that when the murder took place, he was at home in Greensboro sleeping because he had just worked the night shift the night before Danita was killed. But this alibi is pretty weak to detectives. At the time, all they can confirm is data, which shows his cell phone was plugged into the charger and sitting on his nightstand when Danita was killed. Overall, Jameer's alibi isn't completely unbelievable or plausible, but it did make it harder to rule him out completely. After the interview with Jameer, detectives get an impression that Jameer loved Danita very much and was truly devastated by the loss. Plus, it doesn't really make sense to detectives why he would want to kill Danita after just proposing to her and planning a whole wedding. After speaking with police, Jameer heads back home to Greensboro. Within two hours of declaring Danita's death a homicide, detectives receive a lead. They turn up a 911 call that had come in around the time Danita was killed. In this 911 call, the caller says he heard gunshots coming from somewhere near the Campus Crossing's apartment complex. This 911 caller turns out to be the apartment complex's maintenance supervisor, who was working near Danita's unit. The maintenance supervisor told the 911 operator that when he heard the gunshot, he looked up in the direction of the shot and claimed he saw a female who was about 5'10 with her hair in a ponytail. He also tells authorities that the young lady who stayed there heard the gunshot too, 
and was visibly upset and shaking. He claims that this young lady covered her face and ran to her truck and started driving away. To the 911 caller, it appeared that the young woman was upset. She seemed visibly distraught and shaken up by something. This information from the 911 call suggests to police that there could have been more witnesses to Danita's murder. According to the maintenance supervisor, this potential witness runs to her Burgundy Ford Explorer after the gunshots go off. The maintenance guy follows the woman and hops into his own truck and begins following the truck. Soon after, he pulls up next to her truck and they both look at each other. The man notices that the woman still has her hands covering her face, as if she's in distress. He then asks the lady if she heard a gunshot, and the lady nods her head yes. The man then asks her where the shots came from. The woman responds by pointing her head in the direction they both just came from. He asks her why she is so upset, and she tells him something like, didn't you hear the gunshot? Finally, the man says he's going to call the police before this woman drives away. After the detectives learn about all of this, police immediately phone Jameer Stroud, who is making his way back home to Greensboro. They ask him one simple question. Do you know anybody who drives a Burgundy Ford SUV? And he responds, oh my God, I'm turning around now. When Jameer makes it back to Durham police, they ask him if he knew the woman driving the Burgundy Ford SUV. And he says yes, he did. He tells them her name is Shannon Crawley, but there is one more thing police need to know. Like Jameer, Shannon Crawley also worked in law enforcement. Detectives are curious about Shannon's relationship with Jameer Stroud, so they ask him to come back for an interview. In the interview, Jameer is cooperative but quite guarded. He informs detectives that he met Shannon back in 2000, when he was enrolled in the police academy. At the time, Shannon was a 911 operator, and she was one of the people who was working in a training session with Jameer. Jameer admits that Shannon's beauty is what caught his eye at first. She was 21 at the time, tall, pretty, and single. Shannon Crawley was also raising two kids all on her own. According to her family, Shannon was a determined person, she wanted more than anything to give her children a good and stable life. She's been described as a caring, loving mother. According to Jameer, he and Shannon spoke for a while back in 2000, and it was relatively friendly. But around 2004 is when things between Jameer and Shannon began to heat up. He tells police they bumped into each other again through work, and he asked Shannon for her phone number. Now, at this point, he and Danita are already involved and in a relationship. In this interview with police, Jameer claims that in 2000, he told Shannon that he was with Danita. Despite this though, in 2004, Shannon and Jameer began a relationship that he claims initially only began as friends and then turned sexual towards the end of 2004. The Durham Police Department eventually confirms that Shannon Crawley does in fact drive a burgundy SUV, similar to the one seen at the crime scene. With this info, the avenue of investigations is really starting to direct police down a path that seems plausible. They have a murder, a secret love affair, and a car leaving the crime scene that matches the description of a car Jameer's lover drives. At this point in the investigation, it's beginning to look like Shannon Crawley has something to do with Danita's death. But it isn't that simple. Police need more details, more concrete proof that Shannon had the means, motive, 
and opportunity to kill Danita Smith. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Detectives decided to pull more information from Jameer. They begin by asking him if Shannon and Danita ever met. Jameer claims that the two never met, but he did have a picture of Danita at his house on his television. He says that when Shannon helped Jameer move in, she saw the picture. So Shannon knew of Danita, but Danita was completely in the dark about her boyfriend's girlfriend. And this is confirmed by Danita's family and friends who insist that if Danita knew about Shannon, she would have never stayed in that relationship. She just wasn't that type of person. She wasn't going to put up with that behavior. While Danita and Jameer lived 50 miles away from each other, Shannon had easy and quick access to Jameer because they both lived in Greensboro. And this just made it easier for Jameer to keep his affair a secret. By 2004, Danita and Jameer were dating, but they were not engaged yet. Danita and Jameer's relationship was serious, but that didn't mean Shannon and Jameer's was any less serious. Honestly, from the outside looking in, the affair seemed more than a brief fling. In fact, it seemed rather serious, especially since Jameer ended up getting Shannon pregnant. In his interview with police, Jameer ended up disclosing that he accidentally got Shannon pregnant, and that's when their relationship took a turn. According to Anne, Shannon's mother, Shannon had an abortion because her pregnancy wasn't viable. She wouldn't be able to carry it to term. Anne also claims that when Jameer found out about the abortion, he was very upset. So much so that he contacted the doctor to find out if Shannon was being honest about the pregnancy not being viable. Obviously, the doctor refused to talk to him because of confidentiality. 
but this allegedly made Jameer even more angry than before. According to Anne, Jameer had hopes of keeping the baby and raising it with Shannon. And throughout this case, you're going to hear me go back and forth between what Jameer claims happened and what Shannon told her family had happened. Somewhere in the middle is the truth, hopefully, but I want to provide both perspectives so you can form your own conclusions. Anne was under the impression that at one point, Jameer told Shannon that if she didn't want the baby, that they would break up and he would still keep the baby and raise it himself. Despite this, Shannon went through with the abortion for the sake of her own health concerns. According to Jameer, after the abortion, his relationship with Shannon changed drastically. He claims they stopped having a sexual relationship and going on dates. Eventually, the relationship devolved to where they would still talk on the phone and occasionally see each other at work, but that was it. So a year before Danita was killed, Shannon and Jameer officially ended their affair. The scandalous news about Jameer's secret love affair spread quickly after Danita's murder. Understandably, her family and friends were distraught, shocked, angry, and confused. And if this was my loved one, I would be too. I mean, it was clear that Jameer was not who everyone thought he was, and that was scary to many of Danita's friends and family members. If he could keep a whole affair a secret, what else could he be hiding? Did he have something to do with Danita's murder? On one hand, during interviews with detectives, Jameer Stroud seemed to be grieving and devastated by the loss of Danita. Even though he would openly cry, he wasn't met with much sympathy from detectives. Obviously, after all of this information about an affair coming out, detectives were distrustful of Jameer and his role in Danita's death. At this point, detectives get this feeling that maybe they finally got their suspect, the one who killed Danita execution style in broad daylight. Unfortunately, whoever killed Danita Smith left very little evidence behind. No fingerprints, no DNA, and no murder weapon. But during the autopsy, the medical examiner finds one important piece to the puzzle, the bullet that killed Danita. Police are hoping that the bullet will lead detectives to Danita's killer. All detectives are willing to say about the bullet is that the bullet has enough weight to be a 38 caliber round. At this point in the investigation, Danita's murder is big news in Durham, North Carolina, and the public is searching for answers and hoping for an arrest. Detectives at Durham PD are focusing on Jameer Stroud and Shannon Crawley, and all of the puzzle pieces were starting to come together slowly but surely. So far, Jameer had confessed to police that he had an affair, that the woman he had an affair with drove a similar make model and color of a vehicle that was seen leaving the crime scene with a distraught woman driving it, and that the affair ended on bad terms. But they need to know more about Shannon, and they need to get a better understanding of her side of things to rule out that she was the only one involved, that Jameer didn't put her up to this, or that Jameer didn't play any role in the murder. The day after Danita's murder, a detective with Durham PD, Detective Sean Pate, heads westbound on Interstate 40 to speak with the other woman, Shannon Crawley. When Shannon's parents find out that their daughter is going to speak with the detectives about a murder case, they are shocked and confused. They only know Shannon to be a mother living her life quietly, trying her best to take care of her two children. As a single mother, she worked hard to buy her first house at 27 years old. 
Her family is very proud of her accomplishments and believes Shannon's life is moving in a positive direction, and they are certain that police must be after the wrong person. Shannon works in Greensboro as a 911 operator for the emergency call center. She is often in close contact with law enforcement and is considered a model employee at her workplace. Her supervisors like her, she is considered dependable, and she shows up when she's supposed to, and she's always professional. During the interview with Durham Police Detective Sean Pate, Shannon comes off as cordial and cooperative. Obviously, one of the first questions detectives have for her is where she was on the day Danita died. She tells them she was at a doctor's appointment for one of her children. Police check her alibi out, and her supervisor confirms that Shannon said she was taking her kid to the doctor that morning. The whole time, Shannon comes across as calm and easygoing. She gives direct answers to the questions being asked, and she doesn't seem evasive or contradictory. Another obvious question they have for Shannon is about her relationship with Jameer Stroud. She admits to the relationship, and her story about the relationship seems to match Jameer's timeline and story. They both agree it ended in January 2006. Shannon makes it clear that she did not think Jameer was capable of murdering someone. She also insists that she didn't know Danita Smith. Detectives also ask Shannon about the last time she visited Durham, North Carolina. She informs detectives that she has actually never been to Durham. Next, detectives ask her if she has ever owned a gun before. She says that she has never owned a gun and that she doesn't even like guns because she's scared of them. At face value, Shannon's story seems to add up, and it makes detectives question their theory that maybe Shannon was the eyewitness seen leaving the scene of Danita's murder. Detective Pate is just about to finish up with the interview when an interesting thing happens. As detectives are heading out, someone hands Detective Pate a note, and it's from one of Shannon's supervisors. The note says that one of Shannon's co-workers, a man, needs to speak with detectives before they leave. What that co-worker has to say raises many questions, not just for Shannon Crawley, but also for Jameer Stroud. The co-worker reveals to detectives that Shannon had been on the receiving end of a lot of disturbing personal phone calls while at work. He claims that Jameer was calling frequently and asking to speak with Shannon. This had supposedly been months prior to Danita's murder. According to this coworker, Shannon said that she was in fear for her life, that Jameer was showing up at her house unannounced and carrying a gun with him at all times. Disturbed by this information coming from Shannon, the coworker felt bad for her and wanted to help her in some way, so he offered to sell Shannon a gun for protection. According to him, Shannon took him up on this offer and purchased a gun. By the end of the interview, the coworker provides the information about the gun to the police. He also divulges to police that he gave Shannon bullets for the gun and even offered to teach Shannon how to fire it. According to police, the gun that Shannon purchased from her coworker was a 38 caliber revolver, the same gun Denise's killer might have used. The investigation had now crossed cities from Durham to Greensboro and police were seriously disturbed by the information they had just learned about Shannon Crawley. This information about Shannon purchasing a gun bewilders and confuses detectives. If you remember, Shannon just claimed in an interview with detectives prior to the interview with her coworker to have been scared of guns and that she didn't own one either. 
But now, here is a coworker claiming the opposite and having detailed information about a supposed gun he allegedly sold Shannon. Also, Shannon claimed that she did not believe Jameer was capable of murder, yet she was supposedly telling her coworker that she was constantly in fear of Jameer. Things just aren't adding up to detectives, and these conflicting stories are beginning to cast a suspicious light on Shannon Crawley and Jameer Stroud. The next day, after speaking with Shannon, detectives follow up with Jameer and ask him about Shannon's claims of him harassing her at work. He denies those claims and says that there was no reason for Shannon to ever fear him. When he is asked if he thought Shannon was capable of murder, Jameer says yes. And this is what makes detectives pivot their focus to Shannon Crawley as the one and only possible suspect in the murder of Danita Smith. Meanwhile, back in Durham, police show the maintenance supervisor at Campus Crossings a photo of Shannon Crawley. They want to know if Shannon is the same woman that the maintenance guy saw that day running from the scene of the crime. However, he cannot identify Shannon as the driver. They then show him a picture of Shannon's burgundy Ford Explorer. Although he can't give police a solid identification of Shannon, he is very positive that the vehicle shown to him is the one he saw drive away that day. That isn't the only thing the witness noticed, though. He tells police that he also remembers seeing some sort of patch on the woman's shirt. When it comes to Shannon's alibi, detectives continue to confirm it. They end up uncovering that Shannon clocked in at around 10 a.m. That's two hours after Denise Smith had been murdered. They determined this was more than enough time to make the total 100-mile commute from Greensboro to Durham and back to Greensboro. This prompts detectives to look further into Shannon. When detectives search Shannon's home, they end up finding her uniforms for the 911 center she works at. Investigators determine that the patch the maintenance guy saw was exactly like the one that is worn on Shannon's uniform as a 911 operator. The search of Shannon's home did not turn up a gun or bullets, however. To make matters worse for Shannon, police learn some interesting information that conflicts with her previous statements to police. If you recall, Shannon told police she had never been to Durham, but her cell phone records clearly determined that she had been to Durham. Not the day Danita was murdered, but the day before. What's more, her phone pinged a tower that was located no less than 100 feet from where Danita was found dead the next morning. This new information leads detectives to believe that Shannon may have done some recon, scoping out where Danita lived and her routine before killing Danita. This cell phone tower data is a major break in the case for Durham police, but they also want to do their due diligence and check out Jameer Stroud's cell phone and police radio. And when they do, they discover that he was nowhere near Durham the day before Danita was killed. This makes it seem like Jameer played no role in helping Shannon kill Danita. While all of this is happening, police impound Shannon's SUV because they think it could possibly contain evidence. They begin testing the vehicle for gunshot residue. They focus the tests on the interior of the car, specifically the gear shift and the steering wheel. The test results showed that there was, in fact, gunshot residue in Shannon Crawley's vehicle. Along with this chilling information, Shannon's alibi quickly began to fall apart too. Shannon had told her supervisor that she was taking her child to the doctor at the time of the murder. However, the police check with the doctor to confirm Shannon's alibi. 
and the pediatrician tells police that Shannon never showed up to the appointment that day. At this point, Shannon was only continuing to look like a more and more obvious suspect. But one thing detectives still couldn't nail down was her motive. If Shannon really did this, why? While trying to pin down Shannon's motive, detectives remember something important about the story of Shannon and Jameer's love affair. They recall Shannon's account of how she and Jameer decided she would get an abortion. According to Shannon, Jameer said he didn't want to have the baby with her. And something that stuck out to detectives was how Shannon's perspective was that Jameer emphasized how he didn't want the baby to be with her. And to detectives, they believe this is when the seed for rage and jealousy was planted in Shannon. In Shannon's point of view of events, it implied that there was someone else Jameer wanted to have a child with. Maybe someone like Tanita Smith. Now, detectives think they finally have identified the means, motive, and opportunity for Shannon to kill Danita. Despite no DNA, forensic, or murder weapon, police feel they have enough for an arrest warrant. Five days after Danita Smith's murder, detectives drive back to Greensboro to arrest Shannon Crawley. Shannon and her two children are staying with Shannon's sister. When police show up to take Shannon into custody, it seems like Shannon is in no way surprised or scared to see detectives at her door, coming to arrest her. She doesn't even seem sad. It's like she knows her fate. Of course, Shannon's family really struggles to believe that Shannon is capable of killing someone. From their perspective, she's a 28-year-old mother, never been in trouble with the law, and now she's suddenly being charged with first-degree murder with the possibility of serving life in prison. Nonetheless, they show their support for Shannon and try their best to prove Shannon isn't involved in the murder. Meanwhile, at the police station, Shannon is as cool as a cucumber. She's quiet for the most part, except for one thing she says. Quote, I didn't do this, but you need to worry about where Jameer was when this happened. End quote. Next week, I'll be back with part two, and we'll find out who killed Danita Smith. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Lost Crimes Library podcast. If you enjoy the show, please show your support by leaving a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at the Lost Crimes Library pod. Before you go, make sure you hit the follow button because new episodes drop every Wednesday and you won't want to miss it. 